Well, today we're going to have a sex talk. And it's been my prayer all week, and for longer than that, that there would be no awkwardness, that there would be no embarrassment, there would be no uncomfortableness, and certainly there would be no offense to anyone. So if you think that you may be offended about by this topic, or if you don't want young ears to hear, then please feel free to excuse yourself. You're not going to hurt my feelings, and no one will think any less of you. And I can assure you that, that everything that I'm saying, I'm, I'm not going to go into any graphic detail. I'll be speaking from place of propriety, because I don't want to offend anyone. But, but this is a subject that's so rarely preached on. And in this, in this hyper-sexualized culture that we, we live in, we can't be afraid to talk about sex. In fact, we've got to know what the Word of God says about sex so that we can address it appropriately with our kids and so that we can face the temptation that's going to be flying at us every day as we walk around in this culture. We've got to be equipped to be able to deal with this. Otherwise, we're going to fall prey to our lustful desires. So we're going to look at chapter 5 through 7 of Proverbs. All three chapters deal with the topic of sex, but we're going to specifically study chapter 5. And we're going to look at four points that Solomon makes about sex and wisdom, and then we're going to close with some points of application. So as you turn to Proverbs chapter 5, I'm going to pray. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to share your truth And I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit right now in this moment, that you would control my speech, that my words would be yours, and that the truth of the beautiful thing that you have made that we call sex would be clearly taught, would go to our hearts, Lord. And that if there is anything that we need to be convicted of, Lord, I pray that you would do that, and that we would turn towards you. In Jesus' name. Now, the first thing we see in Proverbs chapter 5 is Solomon's plea for proper sexual instruction. His plea for proper sexual instruction. Starting in verse 1, Solomon says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And in verse 7, He adds, and now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Solomon repeats similar pleas in chapter 6, verses 20 through 24, and in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And the reason that he's pleading with his sons, and to you and I, and to us, is so that we listen to him, so that we can be preserved from the evil woman, chapter 6, verse 24, and so that we would be kept from the forbidden woman, chapter 7, verse 5. And we've got to see the force that Solomon is speaking with here. he's, He's crying out to these young men. He's pleading with them to listen to him, to heed his words of wisdom so that they don't fall prey to sexual temptation. And we notice here that Solomon is specifically addressing his sons, and the young men who were being groomed to be leaders in Israel. 
So that's why he's talking about the forbidden woman and the adulteress. But of course, of course, we know that this warning applies with equal weight to women and to be wary of the men who could lead them astray. So we know this isn't just being focused at men. I mean, when it comes to sex, we know that men are especially susceptible to sexual sin. We know that. I don't need to paint that picture. But women are susceptible to sexual sin as well, and we have to acknowledge that. It's okay to say that. In fact, if you look at the statistics of the numbers of women who struggle with pornography and with romance novels and with sexual promiscuity, those statistics, those numbers have been skyrocketing over the last two decades. This is becoming a bigger and bigger problem with women. And of course, if you look at the statistics that tell us the percentage of men who have struggled with sexual sin at some point in their life, it's pretty much 100%. Sexual sin is a huge issue in the United States. It's, it's massive. And I don't, I don't think I really need to spell this out. I mean, just, just go look up any stats on pornography or just go to the movies or turn on the television. It's, it's everywhere. It surrounds us and inundates our lives. And, and guess what? That's not a new problem. This isn't a new problem. That's why Solomon is pleading with all of us to listen to him. Solomon was intimately acquainted with sexual sin. I mean, Solomon's dad, David, committed adultery with his mom, Bathsheba, before the two eventually got married and then had Solomon. And Solomon's brothers, they were sexual deviants as well. I mean, one of them was so filled with lust for his half-sister that he raped her. And then, of course, we have Solomon himself. I mean, Solomon was a sex freak. Let's just be real, okay? He was a freak. The man had 700 wives and 300 concubines. All right? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, Solomon wrote... And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Sexual sin was a struggle for Solomon personally, and it was also a generational issue within his family. And he's he's pleading with his sons not to make the same mistake that he did. Not to make the same mistakes that his father did. This was a generational issue, and unfortunately, through the generations, it hasn't changed much. The world is still just as perverted and defiled now as it was then. So when when Solomon calls out for us to listen to him, we we better sit up. We better pay attention, because we need to hear the wisdom that he's telling us. Because the chances are that we're either facing sexual temptation on a regular basis or we're engaging in sexual sin on a regular basis. That's just the reality. So we need to hear what he has to say. So after getting our attention, the next thing that Solomon does is to teach us the pattern of sexual temptation. The pattern 
of sexual temptation. And, and Solomon shows us that sexual sin is alluring. It's, it's intoxicating. It will draw you in and entice you with its promises of pleasure and fulfillment. Solomon knew this. I mean, he knew how sexual sin ensnared his father. And he knew how the lust for more women ensnared his own heart. And ultimately led him to worship the wives, the the gods of his wives. And we need to see that connection very early on here. Sexual sin always leads our heart away from the Lord. Did you get that? Sexual sin always leads our heart away from the the Lord. Sexual sin in, in any of its forms whether it be the act of sexual intercourse itself or or those gray areas that aren't quite sex but get really close or or watching pornography or reading romance novels or indulging in any activity that is going to get our mind going into lust. That's sexual sin. And all of these forms of sexual sin are idolatry. And we need to know that. It's just self-worship. I'm just worshiping myself. And it will always, always, always take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and it will rob us of the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Struggling with sexual sin isn't necessarily going to condemn you to hell in and of itself. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't put your faith in Christ, but it will sap you of his power in your life because you're worshiping yourself. And you're not allowing the spirit to move in you and through you. And what will happen is our hunger and our thirst for the Lord will diminish and diminish and diminish unless and until we deal with our sin. And part of dealing with our sin is knowing how to recognize it and handle the sexual temptation that we're faced with. And if we read through chapters 5 through 7 of Proverbs, we'll see several patterns of sexual temptation. I'm not, not going to go in depth into all of them here, but these chapters show us that sexual temptation is always very, very attractive and it's always very enticing. And if we look specifically at chapter 5, verse 3, we'll see the primary characteristic of sexual temptation. And that is smooth speech. Verse 3 says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Chapter 6, verse 24, and chapter 7, verse 5, essentially say the exact same thing. That sexual temptation will always entice us with smooth words and draw us in and ensnare us. In fact, if you look at chapter 7, Solomon goes so far as to tell a little story of what this looks like. And so, let's turn over in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. And I want to read through this little story. And I want all of us to listen. Listen for how... Sexual temptation ensnares the young man with smooth words. And we can start to see the pattern of sexual temptation. Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6. 
For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I've found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, Colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a money bag with him. At full moon, he'll come back. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Now, that could be a sermon just on that alone, and I'm not, I'm not going to even attempt to go through this very in depth, but I want to just quickly look at four lies, four lies of sexual temptation that happened through smooth speech that lure us in. And so first, in verses 13 through 15, we see that the smooth words of sexual sin will always make you feel Important. It'll make you feel in control. You're a big shot. Listen, she says to the young fool after she seizes him and kisses him that she's been waiting for him and seeking him. I've been preparing for you. Sexual sin wants you to think that you're the king of the world. And it can't wait to be with you because it's everything it's ever longed for. And oh, by the way, it's everything you've ever longed for. Sexual sin tells you that no one will ever, ever be able to love you like he can. Forget the one you're with. He's much better. Or maybe you're not with anyone. This is the one you've been waiting for. But that's a lie. <coughs> And sin and temptation is just playing to your pride and your emotions and your desire to be in control and be a big shot. And ultimately those things lead us astray. So we see that the smooth words of sexual sin try to make us feel important and in control. But secondly, in verses 16 and 17, we see that the smooth words of sexual temptation will always play on our fantasies. I've got some exotic Egyptian linen here and and all these nice perfumes. It'll be like nothing you've ever experienced before. We can do whatever you want. The smooth words of sexual temptation play on our fantasies and draw us in with promises of fulfilling our most erotic Sexual desires. But guess what? Those 
dreams and fantasies are never fulfilled because there's always something else. There's always something more, something different, something deeper, more exotic, and more perverted. And that's what sexual sin wants to do. To drive us deeper and deeper into perversion. Twisting sexuality so that it doesn't resemble anything of what God intended it to be. Thirdly, in verse 18, we see that the smooth words of sexual temptation will promise to fulfill our sexual needs and desires. We'll take our fill of each other till morning. Have all you want, have all you can get, all you need. I'll fill your desire for love and passion and romance. And I'll meet all your needs. But that's a lie too. Because sexual temptation doesn't fulfill our needs and desires because it's not real love. It's lust. It's perversion. And it always leaves us empty and dissatisfied looking for more and more. And finally, in verses 19 and 20, we see that the smooth words of sexual temptation always promise that there will be no consequences. There will be no repercussions. We'll be able to get away with this little indulgence. It's not hurting anybody. No one will know about it. It's not causing any problems. Of course, that's not true at all. And if you ask someone in their right mind, they would say that it's not true. But it doesn't stop us because in that emotionally, sexually charged moment, we're not in our right minds. And that is what sexual temptation is attacking. It's playing on all those feelings going on inside of us and we put those feelings above the truth. And we fall victim to temptation. And these lies are all part of the pattern of sexual sin that Solomon is urging us to be aware of so that we don't fall into the trap. He's pleading with us not to stray towards that place of sexual sin like the young man did. In fact, as soon as Solomon is done warning us of the pattern of sexual temptation, he immediately moves to the third point and lets us know of the peril of sexual sin. He lays out the pattern and then he gives us, here it is, here is what is in store when you go down this path. He isn't pulling any punches. He he just lays it right out. Back to chapter 5. Verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she doesn't know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. Groan. 
when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Chapter 6 and 7 have very similar warnings, and you can read those on your own, but the message is very clear. Sexual sin will lead to ruin in all aspects of your life. Physically, emotionally, financially, and worst of all, spiritually, eternally. At the end of the parable, in chapter 7, Solomon summed it up like this. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And that's the bottom line right there. The slow fade of sexual sin ultimately leads to death. Now listen, I'm... This doesn't mean that if you struggle with some form of sexual sin in your life that you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. But it does mean that if that sin defines who you are and you aren't repentant of it, then I can promise you it's not going to end well for you. And you need to seriously evaluate who is the Lord of your life. Jesus Christ, or you, and your own sexual desires. Remember, sexual sin is idolatry, and God will not stand for idolatry in our lives. This is a lesson I had to learn in my own life. And so I'm going to share my own story with you now, with my wife's permission, I know the risks of being transparent, but I also know that the Lord redeems us from our brokenness and uses our experiences to ultimately bring Him glory and allow us to minister to others. And so my story really starts when I was in high school. When I was 15 years old, I was what most of you would probably consider a good kid. I mean... A couple of you probably remember me from back in those days. I've been attending Cornerstone since I was 15. And my freshman year of high school, this cute little girl named Leslie Myers caught my eye. She was a good girl, not interested in any of the typical vices of high school, partying and all that garbage. She was at the top of the class academically, and she was just an all-around awesome girl. And so... I asked her out on a date, and she said no. So, so I decided that I wanted to get to know her a little bit and befriend her, kind of befriend. So we became friends, and our last names both started with M, which means that in the classes we had together, we sat next to each other. And, and so over time of kind of schmoozing her and maneuvering and, and wooing her, I eventually got to the point where I decided to ask her out again. And she said no again. (laughs) 
And to add insult to injury, she started dating one of my friends. Well, one thing you can't say about me is that I don't persevere through adversity. And so I went out and I took my buddy aside and I I may have convinced him to dump Leslie. It's true. I, I told him that she wasn't she wasn't good enough for him. So he did, he, he dumped her. And on the rebound, I swooped in, and the third time was the charm, and she said yes. I know it's, you know, diabolical, but I did grow up to be an attorney, so yeah. So that that was our freshman year of high school, and, and over the next three years I brought her to youth group under Pastor Tim's ministry, and she put her faith in Jesus Christ. She was born again. We became leaders in the youth ministry. And for those three years, we we did a really good job of resisting sexual temptation. But guess what? Eventually, I began to listen to the whisper of the smooth words of sexual temptation. And I began to rationalize why we didn't have to wait to have sex anymore. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to marry this girl. So why do I have to keep waiting to have sex? I mean, we're not going to hurt anybody. Why do I need a piece of paper and a ring to say I'm married for? And I listened to the smooth words and the rationalization And so I began to pressure this amazing, beautiful, innocent young girl to have sex with me. And while she is certainly not absolved of her decision to sin, it was I who became the voice of sexual temptation in her life. And after a bunch of manipulation and twisting the truth, Eventually, I convinced her to have sex with me. I'm not proud of that, and I don't take my sin lightly. But you need to hear why sexual sin is such a big deal to me, and to Solomon, and to God. Not only did I fall but I brought Leslie down with me. And that's what sexual sin does. It not only destroys you, but it devastates the people who you love the most. When I convinced Leslie to have sex with me, my my walk with the Lord had grown so shallow, it was pretty much non-existent. Yes, I went to church every Sunday. Yes, I knew all the right Bible answers. Yes, I never stopped believing intellectually that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. But who was the Lord of my life? Not Jesus. It was me. I was the Lord of my life, and I worshipped myself by seeking my own sexual pleasure regardless of what I knew God said about it. Well, eventually I got Leslie pregnant. That was not a fun conversation to have with my parents. (laughs) And eventually we got married. 
And I wish I could tell you that things got better for me immediately, but they didn't. I continued to struggle with idolatry for the next six years of my life. And and while that idolatry didn't take the form of sexual sin, it was still idolatry and it separated me from God. And I can honestly, honestly tell you that if it were not for God's direct intervention in my life, I would not be standing here today telling you my story. If the Lord hadn't saved me from myself, my life would have been destroyed. And that's the peril of sexual sin. And Solomon is warning us, he's pleading with us not to fall into it. It's not worth it, and it's so difficult to get out of. Only by the grace of God, with genuine faith in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, can we ever get out of sexual sin. But thankfully, thankfully, when we humble ourselves and repent of our sin and turn back in submission to His lordship in our lives, lives, not lives, lives, He will forgive us and accept us back. And I praise God for that. Because the reality is that God wants us to have healthy vibrant, and pleasurable sex lives. That's the truth. And that's the next point that Solomon makes here. His fourth point is that God wants us to practice sexual freedom. But it has to be practiced within the confines of God-honoring and God-ordained marriage between a man and a woman. Not some kid's rationalized version of marriage, but what God says marriage is, a covenant between a man and a woman. In verse 15, Solomon writes, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's some pretty evocative language there. And some of you might be surprised to find it in the Bible. Go read Song of Solomon and you'll see some other stuff in there. The point here that Solomon's making is that sex is not bad. We need to hear that. Sex is not bad. It's good and pleasing to the Lord when it's within marriage. But did you ever think about that? Did you ever think that God is pleased with us when we have sex with our spouse. That's the truth. I mean, God wants us to enjoy having sex with our spouse because it brings Him glory. Why does it bring Him glory? Because He made it. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? 
He wants us to procreate. God wants us to have healthy sex lives so long as our sexual activity is within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And I have to keep saying that because this culture is perverting that truth. Outside of marriage, any sexual activity is sin. You need to hear that too. But inside of that marriage context, sex is beautiful and it's encouraged. And if you're married, you should have a healthy sex life. I mean, the last session of our marriage preparation class is always on sex. And I have the privilege of teaching that session. (laughs) And when I walk engaged couples through what sex within marriage means and what it should look like, typically I make them blush a little bit. Happened today when we went through our little session. Not because I'm trying to embarrass them, but because I want them to see that their upcoming sex life is going to be great and awesome and something they should look forward to even more than they already are. Why? Because sex within marriage is really just an act of worship. Do you ever think of it that way? I mean, sex is worship when we are doing it with the proper attitude and motivation because God made it and he wants us to enjoy it And when we enjoy it and do it for his glory, it worships him. And so I encourage the men and women in that class, just like Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen to what Paul's saying there. Paul's saying, have lots of sex. And that's not a bad thing to say that. I, I hope I'm not offending any of you, but that's, that's the word of God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Sex is not evil. It's not dirty. It's not bad. And having a healthy sex life will help you overcome temptation to other sexual sin. Did you you catch that there? The proper practice of sexual freedom is a glorious thing. And Solomon wants to make sure that we know that and we get that. And I know I just went through that chapter at a whirlwind pace, but, but I just want to talk through some final points of practical sexual wisdom before we close our time together today. There were, there were a bunch of things that I was reminded of that were very good for me and that I learned, and I, just, I want to share them with you so that we can all walk away from here with some practical application from this lesson. So number one, always remember that the Lord is watching. And our sin will eventually catch up with us. The end of Proverbs chapter 5 closes with a reminder of this truth. Starting in verse 20. Why 
should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. There's no such thing as safe sex, and there's no such thing as safe sexual sin. It's all deadly, and it's all revolting to the watching eyes of the Lord. Don't fall for the lies that you'll be able to get away with it, or that it's not hurting anybody else. It's not true. The Lord knows what you're doing. And you will eventually not only cause ruin to yourself, but to the ones who you love the most. Secondly, remember what sexual sin really is. It's idolatrous self-worship. When we think of it in those terms, at least for me, it becomes even more revolting. Because all I'm doing is worshiping myself. I'm not pleasuring myself. I'm worshiping myself instead of worshiping my God. We tend to rationalize our sin and put nice nice little names on it, but we need to see it for what it is. It's self-worship, and it separates us from the Lord. He will not stand for it. Thirdly, we can't put ourselves in the position to be tempted. Like, like the young fool in the parable, too many of us are walking around late at night where we shouldn't be. And it's in those moments that we're ensnared in our sexual sin. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Run away. Run away. Put safeguards on the computer and the phone. Don't allow yourself to be alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Let someone hold you accountable if you've been sexually promiscuous in the past or you've crossed those lines into gray areas in a current relationship. Get rid of the magazines, the romance novels, the movies, the television shows, anything that is going to cause your mind to lust, it's not worth it. The movie's not worth seeing. The book's not worth reading. Put it away. Flee from sexual immorality. Fourthly, And this is hard. But if we are presently engaged in sexual sin, we've got to confess it and bring it out into the light. There is power in bringing our sin out into the light, out from the darkness. Because the longer we allow ourselves to think that our sin is hidden, the more that we will run to it, the more we will participate in it, and the more it will drag us down 
to the depths. Confess your sin. Let someone know if you struggle with pornography or romance novels. Reveal your struggle with boundaries or promiscuity. Have someone hold you accountable. And praise God that it is never too late to turn back and repent of your sin. Amen? First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise. He will cleanse us. And that leads to the final point. And I, and I really want young people especially to hear this. Don't be ashamed if you've fallen into sexual sin. Know that the power of the cross to cleanse you is right there, waiting for us to accept it. If you've had sex, if you've lost your virginity, don't listen to the lies and embarrassment and shame that the enemy will want you to be trapped within. If you struggle with pornography, don't listen to the lies of the shame and the guilt. You are not defiled beyond repair. You are not dirty. You're not broken or unworthy just because you've had sex. The enemy will want you to believe these things and heap guilt and shame upon you. But remember, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ... There is no stain that he cannot clean away. There is no shame that he cannot remove. There is no brokenness that he cannot fix. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Praise be to God that he loves us so much that he blots out our iniquity and transgression and he makes us clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. After committing adultery with Bathsheba, David repented of his sin. And I want you to hear the words that he wrote in Psalm 51, which he wrote immediately after being confronted and repenting of his sin. Psalm 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, Lord, and I shall be whiter than snow. We've got to know that even if we've fallen into sexual sin we can be made clean before the Lord and be made worthy and righteous, not only to enjoy a healthy sex life within marriage, but to have the Holy Spirit's power reignited within us so that we can stand unashamed before the Lord and before His people and proclaim what He has delivered us from. That's what I'm doing today. I fell into sexual sin and I praise God that I have been redeemed. And I pray that none of you make the same mistakes that I did. But if you have, know that the Lord is ready to wash you and cleanse you from your sin. All you need to do is repent. Go before Him. Put your faith in Him. And you'll be clean. Let him be the Lord of your life. and He will wash you of your sin. Oh, that little boy 
that my wife and I conceived in our sin all those years ago. He's, he's 11 now. He's grown up to be a fine young man, and I, I pray all the time that he doesn't repeat the sins of his father. But a funny thing happened a couple months ago. Matthew, so his name is Matthew, was over at his friend's house. And his friend has an older, very attractive sister. And she was taking a shower. Or rather, she had finished taking a shower. And she didn't lock the door to the bathroom all the way. And Matthew didn't know that anyone was in the bathroom. And you can imagine how that story unfolds. (laughs) So that night, as we drove home, Matthew and I had the talk. I figured it was an appropriate time. (laughs) But you know what? It wasn't like the Wonder Years at all. It wasn't like Kevin Arnold and the culture says it is going to be at all. I explained things to him. He asked questions. There was no awkwardness. There was no embarrassment. There was no shame. And I believe that our conversation was pleasing to the Lord. Because he learned that sex is not a bad thing. It honors God when it's done within marriage. And he knows that he can talk to me about sex anytime. And I fully expect that if he grows and matures, I will continue to explain things to him. It's not going to be awkward. Because sex shouldn't be awkward. And men and women, that's the same way it should be here with us, within our church family. We can't be afraid to talk about sex. It doesn't have to be awkward or embarrassing. The Bible talks about it all the time. And we need to be equipped to face all the sexual temptation that this world is going to throw at us. So I pray that we can continue to have whatever sex talks we need to have as we mature as a family. Know that you won't be judged or looked down upon if you have struggled with sexual sin and you need help in overcoming it. Bring it out into the light. Confess it. Have people hold you accountable for it because the Lord, our Father, is bigger than our sexual sin. He's bigger than our shame. He's bigger than our embarrassment. And as we draw near to Him in humble submission, to his lordship in our lives, we will be able to overcome sexual temptation and walk in the freedom that he's created for us. So let's, let's listen to Solomon's plea for proper sexual instruction. Let's recognize the patterns of sexual temptation and the smooth speech of sexual sin. Let's remember the peril that awaits us if we persist in our sexual immorality. And let's walk unashamed in the practice of sexual freedom that God has ordained in our marriages. (coughs) Sex should never be taboo or awkward. And with a little application of God's wisdom, sex is a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.